Great podcast today. We start with an exclusive from President Donald Trump. We talked to him about his new lawsuit against Hillary Clinton and everyone involved in the Steele dossier and the lead up to the impeachment. Great idea. Will it work? Plus, Bill O'Reilly on the biggest stories of the week. And Alex Epstein joins us to tell us about Biden's handling of our uh, economy and our energy future, which uh, you, this is a spoiler alert. He hasn't been doing a very good job with it. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, I don't know if you've noticed really? this. Really? Yeah. Also, don't forget, food shortages mm. by Joe Biden. All on today's podcast. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. Special uh, show of Glenn TV today. Oh, stop it. For no. subscribers uh, as as the staff oh. tortures him and makes him watch TikTok videos and react to them. Everybody tries to show me TikTok videos and they always say the same thing. These guys are so stupid. You got to look at this. No. Then why am I looking at it? <laughs> well, for entertainment purposes, for us at least, uh, it will be worth it today. And a brand new Studios America as well. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it as well. Also, Studios America, it's available every day as well. We appreciate you doing so. Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Number 45 and probably number 47, President of the United States, Donald Trump. Hello, Mr. Trump, uh, President uh, Trump. How are you? Hello, Glenn. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for uh, com- for coming on and talking about this. Um, you are some of the claims in this suit, the a RICO conspiracy, uh, injurious falsehood, conspiracy to commit injurious falsehood, malicious prosecution. Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, Theft of Trade Secrets, the list goes on and on and on. This is really not, is this about the um, 2016 election or is this really about what they did to you this whole time? Well, I think it's about everything. It covers a lot of territory. It was totally corrupt what they did. Uh, If this were done, and you know this perhaps better than anybody else in the universe, if this were done the opposite way, Uh, As you know, they spied on my campaign when I made that statement. Everyone thought, oh, my God, what a horrible thing to say. I said Obama spied on my campaign and the Democrats and and all hell broke loose, if you remember. In fact, I put it out and uh, I'd never seen I don't think I've ever seen a reaction, which usually means they're guilty. In other words, you know, normally if they didn't do it, it wouldn't have that kind of. But they spied on my campaign. If this ever happened the opposite way, if. Uh, I spied on Obama's campaign or on Hillary Clinton's campaign. Oh, it would have been. Uh, it would have been treason. It would have been uh, uh, everything right up until the death penalty, and that may have been included too. But it would have been over. It would have been the biggest thing ever. But it didn't work that way. So we caught him, and we caught him cold, and we've been just building it up and building it up and watching. And frankly, we wish uh, Bill Barr had the courage to do Boy. it. Or do it also, uh, but uh, we've decided to do it. Bill Barr was so afraid of being pe- impeached, he didn't want to do anything. He got, at the end, I mean, he was petrified of being impeached, so he didn't want to do a damn thing. But, uh, you know, how do you not get impeached? Let's not do anything. And all so, of a sudden, that talk started dying down. But uh, we, uh, we've we been building this up for a long time. Uh, the Durham uh, report, you know, the early, hopefully it's just the early moments of the Durham report came out. And that uh, added to it. 
And a lot of things are happening, a lot of things, but they all knew it. I mean, look, Obama knew about it, too. I mean, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't just crooked Hillary. But uh, so I, we expect that names will be added to it as it goes along. But this is very important. But can you imagine if it were the opposite way and I spied on, let's say, Obama's campaign? And not only that, uh, you know, much of the stuff, when you think about it, took place beyond the campaign. It was when we were in the Oval Office. I know. They spied. So while we were in the Oval Office, so it wasn't just campaign, which in itself is really bad, but but uh, it took place when we were in the Oval Office. So the the the, the 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 problem here is nobody ever pays for anything. There are no consequences anymore in government yeah. if you're on the right side, um, and yeah, people sure. are sick to death of it. But this yeah. this is going now to um, uh, I think his name is Donald Middlebrooks. Um, and he was appointed by Bill Clinton, which uh, is a conflict of interest, in my opinion. That's right. We have a judge who was appointed by Bill Clinton, uh, who knows Hillary Clinton very well, and we're suing Hillary Clinton and Clinton, and we're suing the Democrats, and we have a judge. This is the way it works for Republicans, you know. Go right. To, and this is this is the. Is. So I think it's a total conflict of interest, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, this is the guy who threw out uh, the lawsuit filed uh, against Hillary over her her using private email accounts and servers while she served as Secretary of State. So and nobody could believe that he threw that out. Right. Nobody could believe it. So what are the what are the odds? Or what what is the plan? How how do you think you're going to? I can't believe I'm asking this question because justice should be justice. But how are right. you going to maneuver around? A judge like this? Well, I think, uh, and I talked to the lawyers, they called up and they said, uh, we have good news and bad news. Everyone thinks this case is incredible. And I don't think I've ever received more positive remarks from people. They're so tired of nobody doing anything. I know. And we have them, and we've caught them. And then Barr didn't act because Barr was lazy and, and scared. And he was just he was scared contempt they were holding it they wanted to hold him in contempt you remember those days yeah yep. didn't want any part of contempt which means going to jail and he didn't want any part of impeachment they were going to impeach him numerous times so and uh, so he didn't do he didn't do his job but if, and if frankly and it was it's very sad that he didn't because this case is incredible now we have a judge who was appointed by uh, the clintons and who threw out stuff like uh, like it was like it was waste paper and uh, it's very unfair. So, Mr. President, you have government officials like Orr, Comey, McCabe, right? Um, seemingly actively engaging in this. We're waiting for the the Durham report. Um, but you have Bruce Orr funneling the Steele dossier to the DOJ right. and the FBI. Right. They knew that it was false. Um, they need a harsher punishment than just a, a lawsuit. But do you have any confidence that the Justice Department now is anything other than a political organ? Well, it would be wonderful. We'll have to see. And, uh, you know, we had this was accumulating for a long time. Uh, it's, you know, one of those things we're going to have to see. We're hitting them very hard. More and more information is coming out. Even since we filed it, all of a sudden people are calling People are so happy that a case is finally being filed against these people where they, you know, the two lovers, they go out and they then they sue the government because they haven't been treated well. And yet they were using servers and everything. The whole thing is crazy. 
So I said, it's, it's, I've got to do it. You know, I'd rather not have to do this. I'd rather have government handle it. This should be handled by government, but it can handle, be handled by us very strongly. And, and this is a very strong case. People that read this case said, wow, this is a strong case. And this case will build. Now, the problem we have, though, is if you have a judge that's going to throw out the case and you have to go through appeals, you have, I think you have a, a great appeal section, but we'll see. But it's, uh, it's very unfair. So we'll probably ask for a recusal. Uh, maybe a change of venue, but not a change as, as much as a recusal. I think it is uh, amazing. One of the defendants in the case is a former State Department official and spokesperson for Clinton, Philip um, uh, Reigns, and he said, he tweeted yesterday, <laughs> I think this is hysterical, he looks forward to deposing President Trump. I don't see, uh, I'm not too concerned. Um, they're laughing at this, and I have to tell you, just as a spectator here, um, you are probably the most investigated man on planet Earth. Yep. Every yep. single intelligence agency, at least in five eyes, and I'll bet you it's all around the world. Every newspaper, every reporter, every journalist have dug through everything, and you're pretty clean. So what do they think they're going to get from you in a deposition? Yeah. Uh, beyond pretty clean. I have a friend, a very successful guy said, you're the cleanest man oh, yeah. in history. I mean, how about this? Where Paul Weiss, a big law firm, that's a total Democrat Hillary Clinton firm, sends one of their partners, Robert Schumer heads it, or one of the big partners, Robert Schumer, that's Chuck Schumer's brother, sends one of their big partners into the Manhattan DA's office, take two of our people and three of our people, you tough, you know, smart young guys, and go into the Manhattan DA's office never happened before because they have hundreds of lawyers do a good job. They took their partner, top guy, an anti-Trump, a Trump hater, like, like you wouldn't believe. All of them made massive contribution. One of the biggest donors, that firm, to Hillary Clinton, put him in the DA's office to prosecute Trump. Let's get Trump. Now we can get him. And Vance, Cy Vance, whose father sold the... Panama Canal, as you know, for one dollar, uh, one in the worst, perhaps the single worst business transaction ever made by our country. <laughs> and Cy Vance, instead of using one of his hundreds and hundreds of lawyers, of course, he used 20 percent of I heard close to 20 percent of the DA's office, hundreds of lawyers, 20 percent was used on this instead of the murders, the drug dealers, the crime, the street crime in New York, which is at a record level. They were all focused on getting Trump. But how would you like it? And in all fairness, the new gentleman who came in, Alvin Bragg, who is a, uh, you know, considered liberal, he looked at this thing and, I mean, I'm reading the papers, but what he said is such an honorable thing. He, he couldn't believe it. I heard he was very disturbed by the fact that they sent a team of Hillary Clinton Trump haters in to prosecute Trump. Yeah. Uh, from a firm that's that's 100 percent, you know, that's totally against. And it's one of the main Democrat firms. I think the main Democrat firm. What, and I think they have tremendous legal liability. But he sent this sleazebag in to get Trump. Think of this. They sent this guy in to get Donald Trump. So he acted as a prosecutor. He's right. a never Trumper who contributed. to. So it I, continues. But Alvin Bragg saw that. And he also saw, by the way, the banks weren't hurt 
Trump's statement is very powerful. I have a great statement. My statement is so strong. And all of the other things. And think of that. They sent a Trump hater into the, to act as the DA to bring down Donald Trump. And they still couldn't find anything. I, 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 I will. T- I, I, I'll I got to t- live with this. Hey, hey Glenn, and I got to live this life. Okay? I know. A lot I of know. fun. I did a great job as president. Right now, you wouldn't be in Ukraine. 100 percent. Russia would not be there. 100 percent. I spoke to Putin about it. I know that Putin's attitude toward Ukraine better than anybody but his closest girlfriend. OK, I know his attitude that I know all about him in Ukraine. I said, don't ever do it. Don't ever do it. And I told him why. And I'm not going to tell you right now, but I'll tell yeah. you at the right time. But uh, he would have never, ever made the move. I, so we have a rigged election. And because of a rigged election, we have potentially millions of people dying because this thing could spiral into a nuclear war. I think it's the most dangerous time in the history of this world because of nuclear, because we've never had power like this. And I think that right now we're and we have a president that's just, that's grossly incompetent. That's being laughed at over there. That has no relationship. He just sits there. Everyone's talking, screaming, and, you know, the other leaders, they're all at the top of their game, and he's just watching them talk. Uh, <laughs> the whole thing is horrible. This should have never happened. Ukraine should have never happened. I, I find myself in the weirdest position at night um, praying hard for the health of this president because I think Kamala Harris would be even worse than this president. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kim, when she laughed at the immigrants. And oh, they, my gosh. They call them immigration. It's immigration. Yeah. And you see people coming in on stretchers with their arms cut off, with their face smashed and horrible horror. And she's laughing about yeah. it. I said, that's just not the right person. Um, Ki- Kim Jong-un also tested uh, a new ballistic missile. Yeah. He's having fun. What what are are we looking at? A, a split world they're now talking about you know the dollar going away and uh, yeah, getting a new digital cur- i mean w- this is insanity and i don't think people understand what this administration has done with these sanctions uh that will crush the dollar i don't think people understand how that's going to affect their lives that's true. true well i know sanctions better than anybody because they sanctioned the hell out of iran and they were ready to make a deal until the election well, we would have had a deal within one week after the election they were they were ready to make a deal and i had the sanctions but people don't understand that when you do sanctions it hurts us as much and sometimes more than it does the country you're sanctioning uh and what it does is forces these big countries like russia or others and that doesn't mean you don't do them, but you have to be very careful because it forces them to use other instruments, not the dollar. They go different ways. They sell their oil for gold or they sell their oil. And all of a sudden you're saying, wow, half the half the world is now off the dollar. It used to be, you know, the currency when I left, it was it was very powerful. As an example, we use very strong sanctions on Iran, the strongest ever used up until that point. But that deal would have been solved and we would have been right back on the dollar and they would have been fine and they would have been everybody would have been happy. That was all set to happen. Do, do you and think then, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, do you think, uh, Mr. President, that um, uh, if this continues to spiral out of control uh, with Joe Biden threatening China, which is just a joke, 
Um, but do you think I don't, I don't see anything standing in their way if we're busy over in Europe uh, with this president of China just taking Taiwan? Well, except the only thing is that Putin's done very poorly and she is looking at that. And he's saying, I'll bet Putin wished he didn't do that one because <laughs> mm. that one is not working out too well. Let's see what happens. The problem is, the danger is, does Putin say, all right, now we're going to escalate into the next level of military? And you know right. what that is. And do you and think he happens, would? Uh, the world is a little, well, he doesn't want to lose, I can tell you that. It'll be very interesting to see because he doesn't want to. Look, I knew him very well. This would have never happened. Would have never happened. Now people say, what would you do now? And there are things you can do now, but we had all the cards before he did it. All the cards. And I thought he was negotiating when he moved the troops. I didn't, you know, I, I really thought it was a great negotiating posture. He stayed with troops and he wanted to get certain things. And he, they should have been able to do something, but, but he wouldn't have done it whether he got it or not. He would so, never have done it with me there. But, he, ever. but he's a guy that you cannot have him lose face. How do you give him a win here. I mean, how do you, how would you solve this? If you had to walk in right now, he's, he's not going to, he's not going to walk away a loser. How do you give him a win? How do you end this? Well, see, I don't think a win anymore is the NATO thing, you know, that they're not uh, going to go into NATO. Cause that's not, you could have had that before. They should have had that before, but yeah. it was never put in all fairness. It was never put on the table. Right. You know, there was nobody saying, let's do this. And certainly it should have been because I guess they didn't believe, you know, they didn't think he was really serious about doing it. Very few people did. Maybe nobody except him did. And, uh, you know, I think he made a tremendous mistake. And on a humanitarian basis, it's as bad as anyone's ever seen. I mean, it'll take 100 years to rebuild that country. And they're knocking down buildings and things that are magnificent, old. You know, we have in this country 200-year-old buildings that we think they're great. Yeah. They have buildings that are thousands of years old. You know, it's like they have things that are very old and very beautiful and they're gone. They're wiped out. A lot of things are wiped out. A lot of, a lot of, most importantly, the people, but artwork and so much is is just that country is devastated. It's going to take a hundred years to rebuild that country. Mr. Uh, Mr. President, um, thank you so much. Are you, are you looking forward, uh, forward? Do you, you see more things coming from, the Durham report that will help your case? Well, I think so. I mean, it looks like he set a foundation. And if you look at what he's got, these are Hillary Clinton people, and he's got a very strong foundation. And you look at that, and now you look at the times where they did. I thought that was another terrible story, really terrible. They knew all about Hunter Biden. They said they misread it. They knew all about Hunter Biden and criminality it made a 17 point difference but we won it anyway we got 75 million votes we got more votes than any sitting president has ever gotten i was told if i got what i got the last time yeah we got 12 million more votes i, I, I was told if we got what we got the last time we went so you know i i think that uh, a lot of things are going to be happening over the coming year you are very lucky to be doing what you're doing because your show is going to get very interesting <laughs> so is the world unfortunately uh, well, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, because much of it is sadly, I have to yes, say. Yes, yeah. Mr. President, thank you so much for talking to us. I, I really appreciate it. This is, a, this is something that every American, I don't care who you voted for, how you feel about any of the people that are um, involved here, every American should care what happened uh, and the power that has been uh, <clears throat> uh, gathered by Hillary Clinton and the DNC and how corrupt 
we have become this. We won't have fair elections and won't have freedom until somebody pays a price for what has happened. Thank you very much, Mr. President. Appreciate it. Thank you, Glenn. And we have a very corrupt media. Remember that. I know. Yeah. Next time you're on, I'll ask where the media is in the lawsuit. Thank you so much. God bless. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Mr. Bill O'Reilly, biggest story of the week, sir. Putin's losing. That's the biggest story of the week, the month, maybe the year. Okay. What does that mean? And it means that the Russian military complex thought it would go in in about 10 days and occupy most of Ukraine and that Zelensky would flee like the uh, Afghan leaders did. um, And none of it's happened. And now with the increased weaponry that NATO is uh, sending into Ukraine, remember the whole western border of ukraine is open Mm -hmm. the russians don't have anybody there so they can get as much uh, armaments and uh, humanitarian aid in there as possible so putin uh now is embarrassed because every military expert in the world knows that his army is not performing well and instantly the defense minister of russia vanishes did you catch that back yes i see that story yes I wonder where he is. Probably looking out of a window and then wanting to see the sidewalk at close-up distance quickly. Or at the bottom of a lake. Yeah. Okay, so that would be like our defense chief, you know, Blinken Secretary of State, anybody like that. Just disappearing. Uh, Lloyd Austin, just disappearing. Just gone. Okay. Happened yesterday. that, That is the signal. That right there, that the, the defense minister of Russia has disappeared. Now, none of the Russian people know that, and probably the army doesn't even know it because there's no flow of information inside Russia. It, he knocked down Facebook and Instagram, and it's hard to tweet there, except the Russian government can tweet worldwide because Twitter hasn't banned them. <laughs> Trump is off, but the Russian government is okay. Yeah, Putin's fine. Donald Trump, absolutely not. Hey, Jack Dorsey, hello. Well, okay. I mean, he's probably still busy working on a reason to uh, uh, to well, kick I, the Ayatollah off. I want everyone listening to us right now, all the tens of millions of Glenn Beck fans, to just step back. And just think that a former president of the United States is banned from Twitter, yet the Putin government is not. Now, that is about as stunning an indictment of any corporation I have ever seen. Would you not agree, Beck? I would agree. I would agree. And it's not complicated no. Even the ladies on The View could understand it. You'd have to tell them slowly. You you have to go over every word with them, but they could grasp it. Well, you, you had, I think it was YouTube uh, that removed the uh, uh, the CPAC 
video because the president mentioned that it was a crooked election. Yeah. Gone. I mean, and so the, gone. The, OK, so as long as we all know what's happening yeah. inside our own country. But mm-hmm. let's get back to Putin. Okay. So there's little Vlad, five foot seven. OK. And you haven't seen him topless lately because he's now serious Vlad. So he hasn't been topless hunting tigers. He's uh, clothed slaughtering Ukraine children. That's that's where Vlad is. He's a real macho man. You know, the village people love him. <laughs> so anyway, he thought he'd roll in there and that the eastern part of Ukraine would be waving Russian flags and thank you for liberating us, Vlad. You're the greatest guy. And then he would occupy the key cities in Ukraine and do what he wants in there, impose some guy like they did in uh, Belarus and Georgia yeah, that yeah. loves Vlad. That's what he thought. Now, there's no assurance that the Russian army will even defeat the Ukrainians. So the, and it's been more than a month. The news, the news today is, is that the Ukrainians uh, have pushed the Russians completely out of Kiev. So they have gained ground on the Russians. That's you can't believe that's that, crazy. That's the problem. No, I know, I know, I know. You can't believe any reportage coming out of Ukraine because the Ukrainian government obviously is going to go, we're kicking serious butt, and the Russians are going, oh no, no, we are. So, but what is beyond any dispute is that we are into week five, and the Russians right. don't have any part of this theater so, secured. So, Bill, let me ask you this. You know, when we showed the world how incompetent we were in uh, Afghanistan, it changed every ally and uh, enemy's sure. mind about us. Sure. What does this do for Russia? Because we were always told Russia was a very good uh, military and they had completely updated and they are they're better than they've ever been. Really? Excellent question, Beck, and I'm going to give you a surprising answer. <clears throat> so you have to understand the Russian army are conscripts. Yeah. They're drafted. Right. They're not signing up like uh, the American army. Right. All right. So there's these guys out on the steps. They're 17, 18 years old. They're all of a sudden in a uniform. They don't want to be in a uniform. They're not elite forces. And that's who's getting the um, bulk of the fighting in Ukraine. So this is like, uh, I mean, I thought Afghanistan was this for them, but this is like Vietnam for us. And that's not yeah. against the American but soldiers. Our, our but our forces in, in Vietnam were not incompetent. The, the communists never beat us one time. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. But there's a difference between incompetent. I don't want to take down the Vietnam soldiers by any stretch of the imagination. Right, right. But their heart wasn't in it. Um, that, that's true. Because but they not were. not everybody. But yeah, the U.S. True. military performed very well under tremendous tremendously adverse circumstances in Vietnam. That's not the case in Ukraine. So these Ukrainian um, fighters are far more motivated than the Russian conscripts. But here's the most important thing of this embarrassment, military embarrassment for Putin. She is watching this. Yeah. Now, Putin cannot survive on this planet without China. So now she is going, you know what? This might not be our best ally. If we throw in with him, we're going to get economic sanctions put on us. That's going to hurt China big time because it's an export economy. They have to sell their stuff overseas. If nobody buys it, the Chinese don't eat. So now she goes, look at this. 
Um, so I fully expect, because China is different from Russia, this is one man causing this thing in, in uh, Ukraine. One man and one man only, Putin. It's not the Duma. It's not the Russian people. It's him. China's different. So she, who is the virtual dictator there, he's got to answer. He's got to answer. Putin doesn't have to answer. Not now. But when the military turns on him, which I believe will happen, wow. that's going to be the end of Putin. All right. So uh, let me ask you this, because that is a, a trapped rat. Uh, and even, you know, you, you corner a cat and they pounce. They, they will fight their way out. And he is a uh, he's a fighter. And we backed him into a corner. Uh, I just had President uh, Trump on about an hour ago and and asked him this question. So does he find a way out or does he amp things up and and actually consider things like chemical weapons? And Trump told me, I don't know. I can't predict him. I don't know now. Well, that's a that's a fair answer from Trump. Oh, I think it is. How can anybody know? how emotionally damaged Vlad Putin is. We know he's emotionally damaged because no rational human being would do what he did. So we know that. But again, in order to carry out gas and nukes and all of this, the army has to do it. The commanders have to do it. And Putin is in a position now where his main guy the defense minister obviously he wasn't you know performing he's gone the major commanders know that the russian commanders know it that he's out and are they gonna are they gonna do that i'm not sure so i think well that- i mean look at project valkyrie i mean it takes a lot for you to turn on a commander-in-chief who just can kill it you it does but when you're talking nukes and gas you know, uh, when you're talking that kind of stuff, then Russia, the, the people, the military is the only group in Russia that can neutralize Putin. So no, the people really, the people can rise up and they can cause trouble, but they can't get them. The military could. So Putin's not nearly as strong as he was seven weeks ago. So, so, right? so, so let me ask you this, and I'm not asking you for a prediction. I'm asking you for the most likely or most probable outcome here do you see this ending quickly do you th- see this dragging on do you see him getting more violent or uh, a coup an inside coup from the military well I, I think that putin uh has a few more weeks to do whatever he thinks he can do um but the sanctions are really cutting into the supply chain we have supply chain problems in america can you imagine the supply chain problems in Russia, Beck. Yeah, they can't get Big Macs. They can't have a Coke. They can't. <laughs> well, go I will on tell the you, internet. It, it, you Russia, know. and you know this. Russia is a very different. The big cities are very Americanized or you know Western. Yeah. But and once the, they run out of vodka, yeah. I mean, you know, hey, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. So what I'm trying to say is this: I think he's got a window, Putin, of a maybe two or three more weeks that he can, he's not going to be in a position of what they call, it's a cliche, do or die. In that two or three week period, Zelensky has already signaled, look, we won't join NATO. They probably give Putin a few eastern provinces in the country if he'd mm-hmm. stop. They probably would do that. 
So I think that the odds are that Putin will say, okay, I'm going to stop and declare victory. And I'm going to tell the Russian people on a, you know, yeah, on yeah. an announcement that the Russians are heroic and mm-hmm. we freed all these people. You know, that's probably the best odds, but nobody can really, um, no, nobody can really predict it. But here's something that people don't know either. The patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church, 90% of Russians are Russian Orthodox. Kirill is his name. He is supporting Putin. Oh, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable that this guy, who's like the Pope in Russia, oh yeah, is supporting Putin. Because if he, he sees if him. He, he real, who is bound for hell. Hey, patriarch, yeah. you really believe in heaven and hell? Guess where you're going, okay? If he would say, you know, I think enough's enough. Yeah. Putin would have to stop. Well, Putin is, is positioned himself, because of Alexander Dugan, as a as a defender of the faith. Yeah, he's got uh, the cross on. Right. Even I mean, when he's topless, yeah. he wears a cross. <laughs> I don't want to even think about that, Bill. All right, back with more with Bill O'Reilly. There's a ton to talk about. You can stay the full hour with me, Bill? Yeah, back. Okay. You know, I wouldn't do it for anybody else, but for you, I know you. Come on, man. You're in Long Island. You're, you're probably in your boxers, and you've got a metal detector. You're out by the beach looking for coins or... <laughs> <laughs> This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Alex Epstein. Oh my gosh. President Biden is a fascist. Oh, how can you possibly say that, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> Well, so thank you for picking my most controversial and most <laughs> literally true quote. Yes, it uh, is in a long time. Yeah, it is truth. By the way, let me introduce you. Uh, this is Alex Epstein. He, or Epstein. He is the founder and CEO. You got it right the first time. It's Did Epstein. I? Epstein. Sorry, doesn't really matter. Uh, Alex Epstein, founder and CEO, Center for Industrial Progress, author of the Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, and uh, it is a great, great book. Uh, all right, Alex. How could that possibly be true? It's weird that the term fascism isn't used except to insult kind of pro-freedom people. Yes. But fascism has a literal meaning, which I indicated in that tweet, which is it's, it's essentially the same thing as socialism, which is total government ownership and control of everything. But under fascism, there's this phony ownership. So you have title to property, but the government has unlimited ability to control your exercise of that property. Mm. And in some ways, it's worse than socialism, because I, Ayn Rand roughly put it as, you know, it gives you the responsibility of ownership yep. without the benefits. Yep. It almost sounds like the Great Reset, but I digress. Go ahead, Alex. Oh, yeah. Well, it is, but, but I think it's important, and I'm glad you're highlighting the Great Reset, which is actually the Great Regress. But mm-hmm. the Great Regress is global fascism in particular. So it's not saying it's become out of fashion to say, okay, well, we all us smart people are going to literally own everything and control it. They're like, no, you can own it, but we have unlimited control, including we get to control every molecule of CO2, which basically means every body and every machine in the society. So I think it's really important to identify fascism as a thing 
and for its negative associations to remain with it. And that, I think it's why it upsets people so much when I do it, because they don't want that, those associations, but those associations are very deserved. So there's some disturbing things, uh, well, like yesterday coming out from um, Larry Fink, the uh, head of BlackRock, which is one of the leaders of this fascistic movement. I mean, it, it, in case you don't know, he just said the actions taken by the private sector in Ukraine and Russia demonstrate the power of capital markets, how the markets can provide capital to those who have constructively worked within the system and how quickly they can deny it to those who operate outside of it. Holy mother, that sounds terrifying. That's everything we said was coming. That is fascism. And you and what's happening is uh, President Biden is saying, we're going to do everything we can to get these oil prices down. No, he's not. He's doing exactly the opposite, exactly the opposite. And he's doing it through these corporations in a public private partnership on ESG to not provide any of the financing for these companies to actually build the infrastructure or reopen the infrastructure to get things flowing again. So you raise a lot of issues, and I think all of those issues uh, come together in what just occurred a few days ago, which is the SEC announcing new what they call climate-related disclosure rules. Yep. This, this is in the context where we have rising oil prices, rising gasoline prices, There's and lowering security, particularly in Europe, but also concerns in the U.S., and there's a recognition that we need more domestic fossil fuel production and maybe that those who have been opposing domestic fossil fuel production over the years are villains in this case. And the Biden administration, that's kind of an obvious thing, but the Biden administration is trying to stretch all logic and say, no, in fact, we have done nothing to oppose uh, domestic fossil fuel production, even though I've been doing this for the last 20 years, including as part of Obama. And even though I literally ran on, I guarantee you, we will end fossil fuel. So they're trying to stretch this so much, but they can't help themselves because at the same time, they just propose these rules, which literally say that, which in effect to me, and I should say that every company under a certain jurisdiction has to acknowledge climate catastrophisms. You have to say our CO2 emissions are not just causing warming, but literally global catastrophe. And you have to adopt practices that the government deems good. And they specify particular things like renewable energy, which really means unreliable solar wind. So if that's not fascism, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's even worse than regular fascism because it's green fascism, which means it's, green is the idea that human impact is bad. So it's, which is an anti-human idea. So it's mm -hmm. anti-industrial fascism. So the worst of all worlds, government control, but it's not even trying to make industry effective. It's trying to make industry green, which ultimately means just we don't do anything. So here's here's one thing that because I'd like you to make the moral case. Um, but here's here's something that most people don't know. When Trump got into office, Rick Perry was our secretary of energy and he went over to Poland and. Uh, Poland is uh, somebody that was completely dependent on Russia uh, for their gas. And Rick said, well, how much gas do you guys need? And he told him, uh, the president of Poland told him, and he's like, I think we can get that from just Texas alone. Hey, don't worry about your gas problem. We were shipping so much natural gas over to Poland that they were actually selling part of it because they had enough for themselves they were selling part of it to ukraine that took everybody out of the russia pipeline 
and Biden comes in, that's over. We're not sending it now. That's insanity. Well, so there's just this basic fact, which is that the U.S. has virtually limitless quantities of fossil fuel that we can produce domestically and abroad. So, and, and this is true of the world in general. So when you see price spikes and supply not meeting demand, you can be sure that's a political phenomenon, not a physical phenomenon or some like lack Correct. of skill or something like that. And the, the natural gas case that you raise is a very instructive example. Recently on my, my podcast, Power Hour, I had Toby Rice, who's the CEO of EQT, which is the nation's largest natural gas producer. And he says, you know, we could be producing a third more natural gas if we had the pipeline infrastructure and the export infrastructure. Well, who's been opposing pipelines and exports for 20 years? Mm-hmm. Joe Biden and in general, the anti-fossil fuel left. So the idea that they've done nothing to restrict production is just an insult Ridiculous. to our intelligence. Yeah. Um, so talk to me about, I mean, because when people say we got to get off fossil fuels, getting off of fossil fuels, even if we were building all kinds of nuclear reactors, we must have fossil fuels because almost everything in our lives has petrochemicals attached to it. Correct. That's true, but it's, it's a relatively small fraction of fossil fuels, and it's particularly oil and natural gas, although you can do that stuff with coal. So you're right that the general idea of keep it in the ground, one major reason is just totally ignorant and destructive is because we have all these life-enhancing synthetic materials. So if you Correct. want to keep it in the ground, that means the artificial hearts are never going to exist. That means, you know, refrigerators are not going to exist. Modern sanitation is not going to exist. So it's it's... What it really shows is the just fundamental irresponsibility of the anti-fossil fuel movement. But it's not just the petrochemicals. The main thing is is the energy, because fossil yeah. fuels still are a uniquely cost-effective source of energy, which means they provide low-cost, reliable energy for all types of machines, including heavy-duty industry and transportation, things that nothing else does right now. And they do it on a scale of billions of people in thousands of places. And this is a world that is dramatically underpowered. We still have 3 billion people using less electricity than a typical American refrigerator. And that's why I say I have a new book coming out in two months called Fossil Future. And it is a fossil future. And we need to embrace that because the world needs more energy. Fossil fuels are uniquely good. We should be liberating nuclear, what I call decriminalizing nuclear. That's a key thing. But for for human beings to flourish for decades and generations to come, we need to be doubling down on fossil fuels. So right now, it looks like the the new axis power, if it's cobbled together, um, would include much of Asia, China, of course, um, and uh, India, maybe even Saudi Arabia and uh, uh, Russia. They're all going to double down on fossil fuels, which makes our fight for climate ridiculous because you can't do half of the world. Um, (laughs) But that's what we're going to do. What happens to the West if we continue to go down this road with a great reset and choking to death all of our fossil fuels? What, What does that mean for us? I'm glad you're highlighting this. In Fossil Future, I, I use the term unilateral disempowerment to discuss this because we're, we're unilaterally saying, yeah, we're not going to be empowered by fossil fuels, but we're one sixth of the world's emissions and declining. So what happens is one sixth. Go ahead. And declining. Yeah. 
And so if you look at it, it's really terrifying. I mean, we're just getting a memory now of the 70s, which I was not alive and I was born in 1980. But I know the history. People have had no idea until recently what an energy crisis is like and what you will do in an energy crisis. But what you see with Europe is look how cowardly they are in the face of Russia. They won't do anything. Why? Because Russia can literally kill them by cutting off their energy supply because they were so irresponsible and made themselves super dependent on Russia. This is just the beginning, though. There can be far more control. So there's the ability to cut off people's energy. But then there's also just the ability to have far more resources for an economy and and to wage war. A a brilliant point, Palmer Luckey, who's the creator of Oculus, but also created the the new defense company, Onderill, like one of the few tech guys who's really pro-American, he made the point that, you know, you succeed in wars with a massive domestic production ability that you can sustain. How does ours compare to China right now? And what's going to happen if we keep mandating unreliable solar and wind, and then they keep using 60 plus percent coal for their electricity, including to make our unreliable solar Correct. panels and wind turbines. We're, we're going to be, we'll be France at best, France without nuclear power. Let me ask you this. Um, we keep talking about, you know, well, gas is so expensive. You just buy an electric car. The electricity <laughs> coming from the outlet is not a magic box. Most of it is made by coal. Some of it is made by uh, fossil fuels. Some of it is made by um, uh, by nuclear. But you cannot cut off the uh, fossil fuels in our power plants. How fast? What does it look like? What percentage has to be plugging their cars in before we we without changing anything have an energy crisis because of electricity? Yeah, that's a that's a great thing to raise. You know, the Babylon Bee, I, I live in California still, and the Babylon Bee had this great headline when Newsom, he, Newsom is just such a piece of work, because, you know, by 2035, he said, we're outlawing uh, uh, gasoline cars. And they had this great ho- headline, you know, governor outlaws, uh, like, uh, you know, gasoline cars or mandates electric cars in a state without electricity. Right. And that is the essential logic of what we're talking about. We're going to say we're going to d- use all of these battery cars. And yet we're undercutting our ability to produce electricity. And we're seeing, you know, even more than the canary in the coal mine with what's happened in California, with what's happened in Texas. Just the fundamental thing that's happening is people are mandating unreliable solar and wind and they are divesting from reliable power plants. And in particular, they are not investing in resiliency measures. That's a lot of what happened in Texas where you don't weatherize things. So while Alberta was did great with worse temperatures during the week of the Texas crisis. Uh, Texas had a disaster because it's it spent you know seventy billion dollars on solar and wind and the related infrastructure. So it's it's a disaster to depend on elect like the more you have electric vehicles, you have to have an amazingly robust grid. And yet we're mandating these vehicles and worsening the grid, which okay. just gives the government total control and can lead to total catastrophe. Na, 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 na.